0: Hi, my name is Lydia. I am a part of the team going to Slovenia this Friday, along with Rebecca, her dad Channing, and Rachel. Pastor Scott asked me to give, uh, excuse me, Pastor Scott asked me some time ago, why me, why am I going to Slovenia? The short answer is that because Jesus saved me, I now want to share with others the love and joy that I've only found through him. I live out this mission on a day-to-day basis, serving in Swain County High School as a math teacher being a light and a model of God's love and grace. The previous year, I served here at HCA as the math and science teacher in the middle school and co-directed the summer camp program. The biggest difference between these two experiences is that I miss teaching children about God. And when I was invited to go to Slovenia to help with their Bible camp program, our vacation Bible school, I immediately and excitedly said, when do I go? Our goals for this trip are to support local Slovene churches by being an example in the community, share our testimonies about how God is working in our life by what he is teaching us, and to connect with believers during fellowship to encourage their faith and learn about their lives. We ask for your prayer support by praying for the success of the Bible camp, having open minds and loving hearts for those that we interact with, and safe travels to and from Slovenia. Thank you, church family.
1: Um, I'd like to invite anyone who feels led to come over here. We're going uh, to lay our hands on Lydia and we're going to pray for the Slovene team. So right now there's going to be an awkward silence while people move. So come forward if you would like to pray. Um, Church, will you please just extend your hands forward, and we're gonna we're gonna have Alex pray for Lydia and for the team.
2: Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for your mission um, that you have set us all on. Lord, we praise you for all the work that you've done so far in New Orleans. But Lord, we want to pray and lift up Lydia and the Slovene team um, to just be anointed anointed uh, by your spirit, Lord, that you'd give them the words to say and that you'd break whatever barriers may be in the way um, of your gospel being accepted and presented um, to the people in Slovenia. Lord, um, I just want to lift them up uh, and I pray that you would encourage them, Lord, that you'd give them the endurance that they need um, through this entire trip. Lord, I just want... Your will to be done, that's what we all want, Lord. Let your will be done in, in Slovenia um, in whatever way that you want that to be done, Lord. Your will is what we want. Um, you are good, Lord, and, and, and I pray that the people in Slovenia would, would know of your goodness, would know of your love um, that we've experienced here. And, and Lord, I just pray for the community there uh, that they would, their hearts would be ready to accept your gospel, that they'd be softened, um, and that if there's someone that just needs to hear your gospel, Lord, that they, that they would be in the right place at the right time for this team to share it with them. Lord, we just lift all these things up, all of the people that are going up. Um, in the mighty and precious name of our Lord Jesus, amen.
1: All right. Can you hear me? Am I coming through? Church, would you please open your Bibles um, to the book of Psalms, chapter 73. Psalms, chapter 73. As you're turning there, I just want to let you know, you probably noticed in the lobby is... Uh, there's a table, and there's coffee, and there's goods, and that is a, a fundraising table for our team going to the Dominican Republic, and again, next week is the barbecue, so please stop by the table, um, buy some coffee, it's good coffee, I like it, and uh, support that team in prayer. What else should I say? Oh, I want to mention about the baseball game for youth. Um, we're gonna leave at 2:30 p.m. Just so you know, it says the game is at six, but we're going early because the first thousand people there get a free jersey, and I really want a jersey. Just saying, I really want a jersey. Um, so we're in Psalm 73. I'm gonna. I my Bible is sticking together because I cried. Uh, In the first service, and I'm going to get emotional probably. Maybe the Lord will help me through that. But I'm going to be honest with you. If you have kids in this uh, service, I'm probably going to talk about things that are pretty heavy. Um, That's just a warning. And and you'll kind of get the gist of it as we read this psalm together. Why? I might. So will you please stand with me as we read God's word? We're just standing out of reverence and appreciation. And then remain standing as I pray after we read. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. And washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this. It seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly. You set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered. When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless... For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. O Lord God, whom have we in heaven but you? Whom have we but you? Lord, we need you right now. God, we come here to be reminded of who you are. Just as this psalm is saying, there is such evil in this world. And we need a fresh vision of you. I need to see you, Lord. I need to speak you. God, may my words be your words, Lord. May what I say be what you want to say. Not what I want to say, but what you want to say, God. God, speak to us through your word and through these just things that have gotten written down in my iPad. Lord, just speak to us, God. Supernaturally meet with us, Lord. And may I be worshiping you while I'm proclaiming your, your goodness and your glory, God. May I proclaim your truth as worship, God. May this be an experience that transforms us, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Um, As we begin and look at Psalm 73, I want to be honest with you and tell you that I deeply identify with the man Asaph who wrote this. And this Asaph is someone who struggled with hope. Um, There was an Asaph during the time of David who was one of his chief worship leaders, but this Asaph seems to be, In the lineage of that Asaph, but not of the time of David. This is likely an Asaph of the time of the Babylonian exile. One of the darkest periods in Israel's history. It was a dark period that caused Asaph to struggle with hope. He struggled to have hope in the midst of injustice, evil, oppression... And there are two basic questions Asaph is wrestling with as he is penning this. They are, number one, why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? Now, if you're a theologian, like I like to think I am, (laughs) theologian Caleb, sometimes I look at those questions and I over theologize, if that's a word. Them, I think of what Jesus said. No one's good except God. You're asking the, it's true. You are asking the wrong question when you ask that. I mean, but I don't want to do that this morning because these are actual questions that you have probably thought. Asaph thought them. I've thought them. So advanced theology aside or whatever... Oversimplifying, you know, I I know people who struggle with real hurt sometimes feel even more hurt by the church when you get a churchy answer, right? (laughs) Sometimes when you're in the midst of a struggle or a pain, it doesn't always help to say, got to have more faith. Doesn't always help to hear, only good, hey, you're not good either. When someone has done you a terrible, terrible wrong. Doesn't help. But this is why I love the Bible. This is why I love the Bible. Because the Bible, this book that we're reading from, talks about real things. It doesn't shy away from the hard realities of life. That's why this psalm is in this book. Because God doesn't want to shy away from what we really experience. The Bible doesn't teach what most prosperity teachers teach. Life has pain, hardship. And the reality is when, just for a moment, will you do this real quick? When we look at, get your eyes, come on, open your eyes. Get them. Open your eyes. (laughs) Open them up. Alex, thank you. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) When you open your eyes, sometimes I feel like that's all I'm telling people sometimes because I'm a pessimist. Open your eyes. You will see that we have terrible, terrible injustices in this world. I'm not sure I understand She's going to do that all day if I don't do that. There are terrible, terrible injustices in this world and we cannot ignore them. But we also don't want to be pessimists. So this is, beloved, this is not a pessimism, pessimist sermon, okay? This isn't going to be about how terrible this world is. We're going to talk about it. But we're also going to see that there is hope for the broken. There is hope for the broken. We want this to be hopeful. So I think Psalm 73 does this for us. So we're going to have three points. Praise God, not six. I had six last time. Actually, just a confession. I had six points and I rewrote this yesterday. Thank the Holy Spirit, not me. So Psalm 73 shows us, number one, though it's full of God's glory, This world is broken. This world is broken. If you have, if you're a note taker, now's the time to take a note. (laughs) This world is broken. This world is broken. It's a broken world full of injustice and evil. And even look at what Asaph observed about wickedness in this world. Verse 3, he says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Prosperity means they're prospering. They're succeeding. Why is it always the liars whose business is booming? Verse four, they have no pangs or struggles, bondage. They have no pangs until death and their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not it's not that they're overweight. Oh my gosh. Go on a diet. No, he's saying they're healthy. They got food on the table. And of Asaph's time, they would have people like Asaph would have to go probably get the food from the crop or go to the market to buy it or like we go to Walmart to buy it. The wicked and, and this is primarily talking about leaders, those in power, positions of power. They don't have to go to Walmart like you and me. They have the best restaurants from Asheville catering them in D.C. Yeah, I said it. By the way, when I say, when I, I just got political, by the way. <laughs> but I want you to understand I'm not seeing party lines here. Let's just get rid of party lines for a moment, okay? Throw that out the window. Republican, Democrat, there are corrupt people from both parties in places of power in our country. And it's not just isolated to our country. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. You know, some of the things that we see people getting away with at the very top of the food chain, you and I would go to prison for life. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken or afflicted or plagued like the rest of mankind. Why is it everybody was taking hydroxychloroquine in Congress and they didn't want us taking it? Do you know that? I'm sorry. No party lines. Basically, all the things that weigh us down or keep us from health and rest seem to not touch the wicked. Verse six. And I'm going to add to this because someone told me something afterwards. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Pride's like right in the center of who they are. But what I, someone said to me as uh, Um, uh, Karen actually said it to me as she was leaving. You know, pride is their necklace. It's not just something that's they're boasting. It's like a chain around their neck. It's like they're enslaved to it. And then I thought, man, sounds like a millstone around their neck. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. They're healthy. Like like this is a sign of health and wealth. Their hearts overflow with follies. So essentially, they're using their comfort and ease of life to commit atrocities against people, normal people, because they feel untouchable. They go ahead and do terrible, unspeakable things to defenseless people. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, meaning they're like puffed up, high, you know, I'm up at the top. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Essentially, they're openly by their actions and sometimes, because you better know this, they're they're very tricky. They'll tell you what you want to hear at one point and they'll tell you something else later. But with their actions and sometimes their words, they openly mock and hate God. They mock and hate those who love God. And they do all they can to steal glory from God. And this is what happens when people are in this place of power and they get away with it for so long. Verse 10, therefore his, God's people turn back to from God. They look away from God and they turn to them. Those who get away with evil. And they find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. So essentially, basically what people, people who should be looking to God see the prosperity of the wicked and they think, whoa, they get away with it. So let's follow them. And we don't realize we do this sometimes. Honestly, you don't realize you're doing this. I don't realize I'm doing this. There's some cases, here's how it can manifest. Manifest some cases, people might refuse to believe that the atrocities the wicked leaders do are real at all. Surely our politicians aren't making money from endless wars. Surely these men aren't creating diseases to profit from the cure. Surely those actors, politicians, billionaires, and presidents had no idea what Jeffrey Epstein was doing after he was charged with sex offenders as a sex offender Beloved we are so entertained sometimes that we ignore what is right in front of us So sadly some have turned a blind eye to this reality They they got these rose colored glass and I, I'm this is not a pessimism sermon okay But there is a reality we need to understand And it's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Evil flourishes in a broken world. Evil flourishes in a broken world. We're not on point number two, I'm sorry. Giving it away. Oh, it's okay. Thank you, though. So, we got to look at it with realistically. I mean, we should not be surprised when we hear terrible things or. Certain things come from darkness into light. Don't be surprised when you learn how broken this world really is. But there are some cases, you know, let's say we're, it's not that we're just ignoring evil because we're so entertained or we just can't believe it could be that bad or whatnot. Some cases there are people who see the wickedness and they're like, oh man, if that gets me what they have, I'll do it. Just look at the state of morality in our age. So many people are being convinced right now that certain things will make them happy. You will get what you have always wanted and longed for, whether it's identity, wealth. I mean, do you, do you understand what happens with, you know, in a, in a consumer culture? You're going to do whatever you can to make money. If you think promoting this will get you money, you will do it. That's the world we live in. So I did not, I started, I I was originally going to preach from Romans. Monday night, I was listening to scripture on the dwell app and Psalm 73 came up and it changed it. Like I just, I sensed the spirit saying Psalm 73 and I kept listening. All right, I got to change my whole, whole thing. All right, preaching this. I did not know that I was going to go to the movies on Friday in Franklin and see Sound of Freedom. I did not know I was going to do that. And so if you're not familiar with this, I recommend seeing it. Go see it. But please know if you take your children, it's going to be really hard to explain that. You should talk to them about it, though. But it's essentially the realities of the child sex slavery industry. And it is a, the largest industry. It's the most profitable industry right now on the face of this planet. It's, it's surpassed drugs. I did not know I was going to see that. And then I saw it and I'd known because I'd attended Passion Conference back in 2016. And I remember Louis Giglio telling us, hey, human trafficking or slavery is the worst it's ever been in the history of the world now. There are more slaves alive now than there ever were in the history of the world it's a huge problem. And I, I said this to someone, like think of it as like a microphone. It's the only thing in front of me. When you look at the Sound of Freedom movie, the reality is the Sound of Freedom only really brings to light this little peg. It's, it's much darker than we can even imagine. And the people who are involved in it, it's, it's a lot worse than we could ever, ever think. And it would, it would just, it probably destroy us. That's the reality of the age we are in, church. Evil flourishes in a broken world. Evil flourishes in a broken world. You know that movie was finished five years ago? And there were media people trying to keep it from being released. And even now some of the articles that are coming out about it from mainstream media, not all of them, but some... They're calling human, like, it's like, oh, it's a QAnon conspiracy theory. Are you serious? Are we forgetting Jeffrey Epstein just died in a sale and Ghislaine Maxwell's sitting in a jail cell right now? So, evil flourishes in a broken world, and we have to know that this world is broken. All right, that was heavy. That was pretty heavy, right? That was heavy. But it's not over. Psalm 73 doesn't just say that the world is broken. This brings us to our second point. This world's not the only thing broken, we are broken. Beloved, we are broken. How are we broken? We are broken people tempted to love this broken world. You know, the only thing that separates you and I from being a person who's committing some of the heinous hacks that we hate is the grace of God. Martin Luther said it this way, but by the grace of God, there go I. You have no idea what you are capable of. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spoil it. God does, but I, we're going to get to that in a moment. Look at how Asaph said it Psalm 73, verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Nearly, he's saying, he's saying like, I was so close. I was like a thin little thread. Jonathan Edwards would say like sinners in the hands of an angry God dangling over the wrath of God. Like I could do it in any any instant. I was so close. Asaph is saying, I was so close. I was so close to distrusting God. That's what he's saying. And by the way, distrust of God is the foundation of every sin. Because you don't believe God when he says, don't eat of the fruit. And he's saying, I almost didn't trust God. And the worst thing, Christian, beloved, you could do is distrust God. To look away from him. For the psalmist, for a brief moment, his attention was diverted away from God. That's the big deal. Like we could talk about the broken world, but the moment And I fall into this. I fell into it this week. The moment we just keep our gaze on the brokenness and we forget God, our brokenness manifests. Verse 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can you get this for just a moment? This dude, Asaph, knows exactly what the wicked are guilty of. He knows of the children being murdered. He knows of the children's sacrifices of that time in Babylon. He knows all that. He knows what his people have endured from these people. And then he says, I envied them. Do you get how big that is? I'm gonna be honest. I would love more money. Sometimes I feel like more money gets rid of all my problems. And that's what he's like doing. He's like, man, if that's what this gets me. (sighs) He looked away from God and the reward of knowing God. And he was tempted to attribute the prosperity of the wicked as something more rewarding than God. Asaph was essentially tempted to define divine blessing as being prosperity in the world. Beloved, divine blessing is is not prosperity in this world. No matter what Joel Osteen will tell you. Okay? That does not mean the blessing of God is on you. It also, even if you have wealth, doesn't mean it's not on you, but it's not the indicator of whether or not you are divinely blessed. We'll talk about what divinely blessed really is in a moment, but look at verses 13. This is where it takes him. Have you felt this way? All in vain. Oh gosh, I've done this in vain. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. I've washed my hands in innocence. Oh my, he's, just, he's like saying, My holiness has been pointless. I feel that way sometimes. I'm tempted to think that. I know you are. Don't tell me you're not. If you are not, tell me your secret. All day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. What's the point of my holiness? What's the point of people rebuking me when I sin? What's the point of my sanctification? They got what I want. But I like what happens in verse 15. Asaph kind of like, someone's like shaking him. Alex comes up and just shakes me. It's like, Pastor Caleb, come on. He says, if I had said, I will speak this, meaning if I had verbalized this and I had just told all my life group friends, hey, guys, I'm like, well, let's do this. Like, they got what we want. Let's do it. Or, let, you know, what's the point of our what's the point? It says, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's like, I would have betrayed your people, God. I would have betrayed you, God. He's acknowledging that his pessimism is dangerous, not just to him, but to his faith community. Guys, if I'm, this is why we can't be up here and pessimistic servant. We can't rant and rave about how sick and depraved the world is because guess what? It's an infection that's going to spread throughout the body and all you're going to get is just a bunch of negative, mean people who call themselves Christians. That's not what the gospel is about. That's not what this is about, beloved. Broken people are prone to distrust God and a lack of trust in God can spread faster than covid We do not want to look away from God and put our eyes just directly on what we're seeing here. Because we are broken and we can fall into it. It can get a hold of us. Because we're broken too. It's not just the world that's broken. We're broken. But thankfully, this leads us to our third point. Psalm 73 shows us that even though this world is broken and we are broken, we can have hope because God is broken. Good. Can you say that with me? It's three words on the count of three. One, two, three. God is good. We're gonna see how Asaph experiences the goodness of God and how he worships God of his, because of his goodness. He's he's primarily talking of the goodness of God that's directed to the people of God. God is good, but Asaph's gonna rejoice because God is good to his people. Verse one, and this is how, you got to know this. This is the anchor of the whole psalm. I, I kind of moved things around to get the message. I'm trying to still expose what's in the text, but we're going back to the beginning because we got to know this. It's the anchor. Truly, God is good to Israel. When he says truly in the Hebrew, it's a note of certainty and strong affirmation. You got to really get it. Truly, God is good to Israel. Truly God is good to his people. Those who are pure in heart. We have to read the rest. We have to look at the brokenness of the world and the brokenness in our, ourselves. We have to look at all of that through the lens of God being good and God good to his people. One commentator said, Though, through his personal journey, the psalmist Asaph has learned that God is indeed good to his pious people. And that psalm, In this psalm, we will extrapolate from his own experience to a wider audience for which it is also relevant. That's you and me, not just the people of Israel. Rather than being merely an individual expression of faith, this psalm is a testimony that exists to build up the community of faith. So this is a personal testimony from Asaph. He is saying, I know this to be true. I also know the brokenness to be true, but I know this to be true, beloved. And not just as this, this is a testimony of Asaph, a man. It's not just a man's testimony. This is also because it's in this book and God sovereignly ordained it to be in this book. This is a testimony of God to you, more trustworthy than Asaph. You have a conversation with Asaph outside of him writing scripture by divine inspiration You may not be able to trust everything because he's broken. But when you know with certainty that what you're hearing from Asaph is from God, you can stand even more securely on it. This is a testimony worth trusting. God is good. God is good to his people. And we have to hold firm to this truth if we are going to make sense of this broken world we have to believe that God is good when Satan uses sin, wickedness, corruption, and evil to tempt us to believe that God isn't good and that that's better. And this is so easy. It's so easy to be distracted by evil. Look at verse 16. When I thought how to understand this about the wickedness that's just rampant, the corruption, the, the human trafficking, the, all this stuff where the wicked are just getting rich. It seemed like a wearisome task. Oh, God, I can't handle it. These shoulders are too, my shoulders aren't strong enough for this. It's so hard. Look what he does next, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. You know what Asaph did? He went to church. He went to church. This is the place. This pulpit is the place. Your life group is the place. The youth group is the place. CR is the place where we are to be reminded of God's goodness. That's why we got to be here. You cannot survive this without this. You just can't. I'll save it for later. The psalmist needed to go to the one place he would be reminded of God's goodness. He needed to go to church. By going to church, Asaph's vision, his picture was transformed. He's reminded because he goes on to say, I discerned their end. This is where it's going to get a little heavy. It's already been heavy. This is heavy. Asaph needed to be reminded that a good God is a just God. Do you get that? A good God is a just God. Beloved, the wages of sin is death. We cannot keep that out of our gospel message. You don't have the good news without the bad news. A good God is a just God. Look at verse 18. Truly, again, truly, 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 you set them in slippery places. They think they're standing, but they're going to fall. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Just like that. Swept away utterly by terrors. You know, without repentance and faith in Christ, right there. That's the end. And what awaits them is more terrible than anything they've inflicted upon anyone on this earth. The wicked who get away with evil now and are fat and happy now will one day be held accountable for their evil. A good God is a just God. Verse 20, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself. One psalm says it, the the cup of the wine of God's wrath is foaming and the wicked drink it down to the dregs. You despise them as a phantom. So this is serious. A good God is a just God. But that's not the only thing that's true of a good God. Remember, I said this world is broken. And I said we are broken. A good God is not just just. A good God is merciful. And I got to say, before I read this, because I'm going to speak primarily of ours. No, no, I'm just going to say it. He says, God is good to his, truly God is good to his people. Of Asaph's time, that was Israel. That was old covenant. You know what you had to do to be in the old covenant? You got to be circumcised. You got to abandon everything from your past. And pre- you got to, you got to, there's a lot of law you got to keep to be a part of God's people. But do you know what the New Testament call to being of God's people is? It's faith and repentance. It's faith in the message of what Christ has done on the cross. His life, his death, and his resurrection. That's how someone becomes part of God's people. So when I speak of this for a moment, just just know this. And this is, I had such a hard time saying it in the first service. I think I'll have a better time saying it in this service. The grace of God is available and open to people who traffic children. I don't like saying that. When I saw Sound of Freedom, my initial response was like, oh, get them, God. Get them. And I do want justice, but beloved If we're going to be like Christ, we got to speak like Christ on the cross. Jesus said, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus said, love your enemies. The grace of God is available to all people. And that grace expressed in the gospel of Christ is what brings someone into the family of God. It's not just for perfect people. And I'll just say this too. You have no idea what you would do without God's grace in your life. I don't either. I kind of have an idea because I think about it sometimes. If you knew that Scott said this, if you knew what's in my head, you wouldn't want me as your youth pastor. And you, I probably wouldn't want to be your friend if I knew it was in your head. But the reality is God is not just, just. A good God is not just just. He's also merciful and kind. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was so uh, frustrated, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish. I was ignorant. He's, he's admitting, God, I was, I was mean. I was bitter. I was, I, was, I was like an animal, God. I was like a beast towards you. I treated you like they treat you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. God is holding on. To us, beloved. That's the only thing that keeps you doing, keeps you from doing what everyone else in the world is doing. This is hand on you. And even when Asaph was tempted to forget God and love the world, God was with him, God was holding on to him, God was forgiving him. This is an amazing gospel truth. God is just and yet merciful. And that's what the cross is about. Nevertheless, verse 23, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So, Quickly, I just want to say one thing about what it means to be near God. Asaph was tempted to believe that the prosperity of the wicked was divine blessing. But you need to know this, beloved. Divine blessing is actually nearness to God. That's why he goes full circle on this. To have God is better to have anything else in this world. Jesus put it this way. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You can't give anything for your soul. And then Psalm 16 says this about God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Beloved, we have a good God who is better than anything we'll ever get in this world. So let me, let me close. And I said earlier that there are two basic questions Asaph is wrestling with. Why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? I think the answer is this. We are broken and this world is broken. That's why. That's Why? So let me give you three applications. Number one, look at God instead of the brokenness. Look at God instead of the brokenness. I'm not saying to ignore brokenness like injustice or famine. And I'm not saying that we don't do things. Part of being gospel light is bringing gospel light into things like injustice, human trafficking. We got to end it. But while we seek to manifest justice here... We need to make sure our hope is in God and not our attempts at correcting brokenness. Does that make sense? I would also say this. Your president isn't going to save you. Having your Congress is not going to save you. Only Jesus can. We got to remember that our attempts at correcting brokenness are never going to do it this side of heaven. So look at God instead of the brokenness. Number two, take your dissatisfaction with brokenness to God directly. Some people like to go to life group and they drop grenades. Have you ever experienced that? It's like, oh man, everybody's really, this is a downer. Don't just drop grenades in your life group or your faith group. Remember that our bitterness and distrust in God can spread faster than COVID. So if you're going to drop a grenade, jump on it. <laughs> Third, go to church. Go to church. You need, you, we need you. You need us. I know sometimes it's hard getting here. But beloved, you're not going to make it on your own. You, you are going to fall into despair. You're going to fall into loneliness. You're going to sin. You, can, you need the church. We need the church. You need this place, your life group, youth group. These are the places we're reminded of God's goodness. And then those are the three. Let me just leave you with this. This is the last thing I want you to think and remember. Broken people living in a broken world can have hope because God is good. We know this because Jesus came for us. Jesus left the luxury Of heaven, Jesus had it all. He had more than the wicked get in this world. He had everything. It was all his. Even what the wicked have is Jesus's. He had it all. And Jesus left that throne and that privilege and that authority, all that he had, he left it to come here, beloved. Jesus left all of the riches of heaven to rescue the wretches of us. <laughs> riches, wretches, that just came to me. I don't know if it made sense. He left riches for the wretches. And that's us. We know that God is good so we can have hope. I'll read Romans eight eighteen. Can I have the band come up? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with glory the glory that is to be revealed to us. Father, we just confess this to be true. That yes, we can be pessimists. Yes, we can get frustrated with what we see in this world and we're tempted to love it. We're tempted to love what we're told to hate. Forgive us, God. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that thereby thereby the grace of God go I. God, thank you that you have a solution for a broken world. It's your son. And that while we have the gospel call to heal brokenness, we also know that we have a savior coming back from heaven to to clean it up. Jesus is gonna come back and clean up our mess and he's gonna clean up the whole mess of this world. And we just say, as John said in Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. God, would you stop child sex trafficking God would you stop drug drugs being dealt in Jackson County God would you stop adultery would you stop the transgender ideology that's just sweeping through this world God would you stop it would you stop the corruption in capitals All over the world. God, would you end the corruption? Would you end it, God? God, would you stop profiteering from human lives? God, would you shut the mouth of the enemy? Lord, we are reminded, I'm just reminded right now that my war is not flesh and blood. A political opponent is not my enemy. A a drug trafficker is not my enemy. Human trafficker is not my enemy. They may be your enemies, God, because they haven't surrendered to your son. But Lord, may we take the gospel to even the dirtiest of sinners. May we also, like Paul say, we are the chief of sinners. God, humble us Help us to not look with pride. May we not wear pride as a necklace. Oh, we're God's chosen people. Ho, ho, ho. May we not ever be like that, God. May we be a church that proclaims a gospel that saves the worst of us. God, please, Lord, use this to transform us, God. Thank you for Psalm 73. Thank you for doing all that's required so that we might be reunited with you.